listening to First Church Charlotte. Amen. So we are, we are almost to the end of our survey through the gospel of, of Mark. And we are standing at the cross. And Jesus Christ is going to be sacrificed as a perfect lamb of God and so I am going to I am going to read at verse number uh, 16 and I'll tell you what instead of standing since I'm doing a, a extended portion why don't you just follow along with me and we will we will uh, begin I do want to say before I begin reading that our men's outing out that we do in the fall every year is coming up. There's a sign-up sheet out front. It will just be on Friday night this year uh, because of uh, just surveying the men and the needs of the men. Uh, that seems to work best, uh, but it's a great time every year. Uh, there was one other announcement I needed to make on top of that. Oh, um, after, after we... Uh, finish the Gospel of Mark, which we are very close to. I'm going to do a Wednesday night Bible study called First Church, and I'm going to go over our apostolic foundations, and I'm going to endeavor to describe the biblical reasons why we do certain things the way we do here at First Church. I'm going to endeavor to uh, try to explain or at least show some of uh, my pastoral whys, why I I do what I do, and try to give a uh, a foundation of the uh, kind of the uh, direct, or at least the, um, the 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 historical the historical connections all the way back to the Book of Acts, and uh, I think it'll be very valuable. And I am looking forward to it. I've already begun preparing for that. And so, as a preacher, I have to be careful that I don't move on. As a preacher, we preach what is in our spirit. And sometimes there's something in my spirit that I don't even intend necessarily to be preaching that, but it's in my spirit, and I always find myself there. Um, so, uh, I am sometimes guilty of getting the next thing I'm studying on in my spirit, and <laughs> I'm finishing up uh, a subject. So, uh, we're standing at the cross tonight. The soldiers led him uh, in verse 16 to a hall called uh, Praetorium. And there they called together this garrison. And there, before these soldiers, he is he's mocked. Uh, they clothe him in purple. They twist a crown of thorns. They put it on his head. They begin to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews. And they, they begin striking him on the head with a reed. Now, you should think of a reed in terms of a, a piece of wood that you would think of in uh, more like a about three-quarters of an inch thick uh, that was uh, still kind of drying, and so it had a whip-type effect to it. It wasn't just a straight stick. Uh, it kind of had a uh, little bit of flexibility in the strike of it. So they put a crown of thorns on his head. They've mocked him as king of the Jews, as if to say this is what we do to kings who proclaim 
themselves in the reign of, of, of Caesar. They, they spat on him and uh, they mocked him by bowing their knees. And when they had finished with all that, they, they took the purple off him, put his own clothes on him and led him out to crucify him. Uh, there's this wonderful story of Simon the Cyrenian who bore the cross and Mark n- notes in verse 21 that he was the father of Alexander and Rufus. Uh, most scholars believe that Alexander and Rufus were well known in the church, uh, becoming converts and tradition uh, gives us uh, the story of Simon the Cyrenian becoming a convert to Christianity. They brought him to Golgotha, which being translated as place of the skull. Uh, they gave him wine mixed with myrrh to drink, but he did not take it. Uh, this this wine is, a, they, what they've done is they've created a narcotic drink, uh, which was not, not too uncommon. Um, if they... If the soldiers hated you, uh, they would not give that to you. But if they were carrying out their duty and yet they had some some respect for you, they would give you this narcotic drink that would in some way numb and deaden the pain of the of the crucifixion. Uh, they offered it to him, but he would not take it. And so they crucified him. Mark is so understated. They crucified him. They divided his garments, casting lots, and um, they did this on the third hour. This is about 9 a.m. in the morning, and they crucified him. They wrote above him the accusation, Mark calls it, king of the Jews, and with him they also crucified two robbers, one on his right, one on his left. So the scripture was fulfilled, which says, and he was numbered with the transgressors. Those who passed by... uh, blasphemed him. They shook their heads and they said, aha, you, you bragged about destroying the temple and building it in three days. Save yourself and come down from this cross. And also the chief priests uh, undignified themselves by mocking him with the scribes saying he saved others himself. He cannot save. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. Even those who were crucified with him uh, reviled reviled him. When the sixth hour was come, he has uh, been on the cross three hours now, so it is now noon. Uh, there was a, a darkness over the land that uh, was something we would think of as an eclipse. We do not know exactly if it were an, was an eclipse in the sense of a physical object in front of a of the moon or if it was a type of a weather front that came through. You've all seen weather fronts where it almost is dark. Um, we don't know, we, we don't exactly know uh, what this signifies. It may have been supernatural uh, intervention. I am quite comfortable with the idea of the sun hiding its face and refusing to shine. Uh, but there is this darkness at noon and uh, then three hours later, Uh, Jesus cries, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Those who stood by thought that he was perhaps calling for Elijah. 
like someone ran and filled a sponge full of sour wine, put it on a reed, and offered it to him to drink, uh, saying, let him, and, and, uh, and offered him to drink. Uh, they are doing an act of mercy at this point, and they call out to those mocking and say, leave him alone. Let us see if maybe Elijah will come and take him down. But we know, understanding the doctrine of the cross, we know that not even Elijah can take him down. Uh, so, there was a uh, this moment where Jesus cried with a loud voice and he died. And then the veil of the temple was torn from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood opposite him saw that he cried out like this and breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the son of God. Truly this man was the son of God. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would let these words live. I pray that our hearts would be able to receive this, this moment of your passion. It is overwhelming. It is uh, almost beyond our easy comprehension. It is quite difficult for us who have really only known the pain that comes through life. We have not known this type of uh, pain in the circumstance that you, uh, you endured that we might be redeemed by your, your precious blood. Would you, would you speak into our hearts today and would you give us a brand new appreciation for mercy and the power of mercy in our lives? Somebody say in Jesus name. Amen. All right. Um, I'm going to try to uh, move through a story you have heard and read a dozen scores, perhaps hundreds of times. There is a, a natural uh, risk of our emotional numbing that comes about when we hear a story repeatedly. And it's quite difficult for us, no matter how zealous our hearts are, no matter how much we desire to see anew and afresh, it's quite natural for us to have this sense of uh, uh, maybe emotional dulling, maybe a little bit of, uh, hate to say calluses, but it almost as though we can become calloused of this moment. And we get so busy uh, rushing through our lives, and we get so busy, distracted with many things. Uh, it doesn't mean we're bad people. doesn't mean we want to do, uh, you know, in any way something that uh, shows thanklessness. It's just, we've heard it, we've heard it, we've heard it, we've heard it. And so, uh, come Monday morning, I begin praying, Lord, how can can I, how can I present this where it could, it could have a freshness to it? How could it, how could this story, which we have all heard, we have all celebrated this story we have all talked about, how can it live fresh again in, in our hearts and lives? That's a challenge. I, I will confess to you that as a, as a believer, that's a challenge for me. I, I've read the gospels many times as have most of you. Most of you have read the gospels enough that it wouldn't be an embarrassment to you if someone were announced how many times you've read the gospels. Uh, that's a good thing. We All of us should be in the word of the Lord. Can I have an amen? And so it's out of the word of the Lord that we have life and uh, out of the word of the Lord that we receive the direction and the guidance that we so desperately need. And so um, I, I want this to ring fresh, but the details of the story have, have so often been taught, so often been preached, so often been given um, that you could do perhaps a pretty good job of just almost breaking down a chronological sequence of what happened and then what happened and then what was next 
and I I wanted you to I wanted you to uh, hear this fresh. So one of the things I want to do is I want to share with you a, a couple messages that I I remember on the preaching of the cross. <clears throat> uh, the most powerful message that I I uh, comes first to my mind is is the message that uh, was preached by one of our missionaries. Um, actually, Sister Nona Freeman was who I heard uh, preach it. She has gone on to her reward, uh, but she was a great woman of faith, and she uh, preached, or however you want to say, uh, she had a, a very uh, a feminine way of speaking. She she didn't really, you know break it down and make it plain, but she kind of broke it down and made it plain in her way. <laughs> and she she preached a message called the place of the skull, and she talked about how Golgotha meant the place of the skull, and how all of us are uh, ultimately crucified in our in 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 our minds. Uh, we we have to have a complete surrender to the will and the work of God in the place of the skull in our in our mind. Because if our mind, our self is not submitted, then we are always forced to have a, a form of godliness. We we have an outward appearance. We have a style. We have a way of singing. We have a way of clapping. We have a way of living. But unless our mind, the, the, the you that's inside of you, the real you, not this body which gets old and ultimately will pass away, but the you that will live forever, unless the, you, the place of the skull, is submitted unto the Lord, then you do not understand just how important and how powerful a Calvary was and how it powerful it is in your life even today. I, I remember uh, a message. I actually I actually preached it. I didn't hear it first with myself, but like all uh, young preachers, I stole from the best. Uh, <laughs> that's what you're supposed to do as a young uh, preacher. You're supposed to get inspired and you're try, supposed to take the idea and try to put your abilities and your talents to it and you can't preach it like they did but you want to share that. Uh, I, I, I preached the message of Cyrene, uh, Simon of Cyrene and I had heard the message I, I, I still have the tape I believe somewhere. Um, no one preached it bre- better than um, Brother Harold in Bridge City, Texas and he preached on uh, Simon the Cyrenian um, and how he had the opportunity to serve the Lord uh, even before he had ever been converted. And I, I have seen that in, in the church. I've seen that in people's lives. I've seen people that were not even yet a believer be a great blessing to the church and in some way uh, help in a time of need and do favors and give financial uh, uh, gifts to to the church. One of my pastor friends told about uh, told me recently about um, just at the gym he worked out at, he, he goes in and he tries to meet everybody there and, and just treats it like, you know, it's his personal harvest field, and um, him and I often, I, I kind of have a same uh, ideal at some level of at least making friendships and beginning those relationships, and um, he, he told a, a man in his gym, came up to him and said, uh, and they were going through a tough time, and they had some people had, you know, it just, just life, and um, man, he didn't even know, came up to him and said, I just want you to know I believe in what you're doing. I know I don't go to your church, but uh, here's a check, and I, I remember it was like, if I remember 
will write us like $7,000 check to the church. Um, I believe in what you're doing. And um, he, he told me about how it, it, it ministered to him because there were people that he thought believed in what he was doing and they were, they were fighting him. And here's somebody who didn't even go to his church and believed in what he was doing. And it was like a, uh, a handful on purpose the Lord had given him. And so uh, I, I loved that message. I, I also remember a message, Brother Harold. I listened to a lot of Brother Harold's messages, a uh, message he preached called, You Can't Carry Your Cross. And he told the story again of Simon, uh, the Cyrene, and he, Cyrenian, and he, he told about how if Jesus himself could not carry his cross, who do we think we are when we try to do it without help? Awesome message. If Jesus himself was too weak to carry the load of that cross, who do you think you are trying to not, trying to serve God without ever being uh, uh, in fellowship with somebody else or being vulnerable to somebody else or confessing your sins one to another or going to somebody and saying, I need you to partner with me in prayer? If Jesus could not carry his cross, who do we think we are by trying to do everything ourselves and not? asking for help and not asking for prayer. So I want to be the first one to tell all of you, I want your prayers. I need your prayers. I covet your prayers. I can't carry my cross. Uh, I love that message. That, that's so 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 meaningful in, in my life. My one of my one of my favorite messages of the cross was uh, actually uh, preached by um, a preacher who uh, most of you would not know him, but he preached a message called uh, about Mary, the mother of Jesus, and he he preached a message entitled "Mama, Go Home," and he told the story of Jesus giving away his mother, giving away his mother at Calvary <clears throat> to John, and uh, he he basically said. Mama, um, I know you don't want it to end like this. I know you had other dreams for me than this one. Uh, But uh, you've got to go home and let me die. Because you cannot see the vision. You cannot see the work that must come out of this moment. Mary didn't want to give up her son. She, it's impossible to love your son more than a mother loves their son or love somebody more than a mother loves her son. And here he's asking her, go home and let me die. These are messages that <clears throat> were formative. <clears throat> Sorry, I'm emotional tonight. I can't, <clears throat> I can't preach on Calvary without being emotional. And so, um, and I don't want to learn how to preach on Calvary without being emotional. <clears throat> And so, <clears throat> these are messages that have uh, been formative to me. And what I wish I could do is I could take all those messages and I could, uh, I could in some way take the momentous, momentous truth of them. And I wish I could give the depth of human feeling of them. And I wish I could get the truth of them. And I wish I could package them up in the most beautiful, most valuable present you have ever been given. And I wish I could bring it to your house. And I wish I could say, here, take the wealth that is in this. But the truth is, we're very comfortable with this story. And uh, we, we've, we've, we've celebrated it a lot. And that's a good thing. We should celebrate it a lot. Um, and I want to be the first one to say to you, 
We often do not have services that feel this heavy. Um, I do believe the joy of the Lord is our strength. And if you're a first-time guest here today, I promise you most of our services do not feel quite this heavy. But it's impossible to think about what the Lord has done for us without being moved in our spirit. If he loved us so much... It behooves us to offer our souls back to him. If he loved us while we were yet sinners, what greater offering is there that we can make to say, then here is my heart. And that will, that, will come to, uh, that will come to be really the manner in which if we serve God, that is, we have to live that statement out. We can't just put it in a song. We can't just, you know, uh, say amen with a preacher. We have to live that statement out. Lord, I give you all of, all of me. Uh, the Lord invites each of us into a relationship with him. He, he, he invites each of us into a knowledge of, of, of his work. Uh, uh, his redemptive grace and and love that is that is imparted to us through hope and joy, and uh, so we stand here at the cross and we see Simon as he as he leads away, uh, having delivered the cross to that 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 heel called Golgotha. Um, I I. I I want you to to see how the soldiers uh, they they chose to try to make Jesus's death a little easier, uh, but he would not accept that. Um, I I am the first one. I confess to you, I'm the first one to try to find a shortcut. Um, I don't want to necessarily go up the hard side of the mountain. I really would like to go up the, the the graded side of the mountain if it's at all possible. And you, if you have if you have any good sense, you feel the same way. There's no point in purposeless suffering. Suffering, right, uh, but this moment of Jesus Christ is is not him evading suffering. Jesus chose this moment. That is important because it is not just true on the personality level where Jesus chooses not in this moment to take their offering of kindness to make his journey easier. It's also true that he would not simply try to sweep our sins under the rug and break his own sense of justice and truth. He decided to cover our sins and he decided to take our punishment as though it were his sin. And every error that we make in our life is a direct result or let me say it this way, every error we make is an additional, as it were, uh, pain and, and, and suffering that Jesus Christ bore on that cross. But I have this great news that is the gospel. Uh, Jesus has, Jesus has won the victory. And in that moment, although he endured the the horrors of pain uh, and although he died, uh, he died in uh, victory and he took the keys of death, hell, and the grave from where they were held in the despair and the depression of humanity's failure. And what he did is he conquered them all. And he took from the control of death and hell and the grave the right to all of your souls. And so today you are made righteous through a covering you see we all of our all of our 
uh, 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 the best the thing that we can do. And this is not an excuse for sin. And this is not a get out of jail free card. Uh, God forbid, as the apostle said. Uh, but this is a realization that salvation must become God's gift and God's work for us. Otherwise, we begin to live as though God owes us something and God owes us nothing. But he freely gave of his love and mercy to us. And so I uh, spent uh, a good amount of time this week trying to find a way to present this um, that would be new. And I, I want to read to you uh, from the uh, article, uh, academic article that was wrote in a medical journal, journal known as Arizona, Arizona Medicine. It is a, uh, a journal, academic journal in the state of Arizona. It was written back in the 60s and it was written by a doctor and he wrote a uh, article called, uh, this is the technical name in the medical journal, The Crucifixion of Jesus, The Passion of Christ from a Medical Point of View. Uh, so I want to I want to read this to you. It is uh, it's a little bit extended, but I, I think if you will follow along with me, <clears throat> if I can get through it, if you will follow along with me, you will have a picture of this moment that you will have never had before. Simon is ordered, I'm reading, Simon is ordered to place the crossbeam on the ground, and Jesus is quickly thrown backwards with his shoulders against the wood. The legionnaire feels for the depression at the front of the wrist. He drives a heavy, square, wrought iron nail through the wrist and deep into the wood. Quickly, he moves to the other side and repeats the action, being careful not to pull the arms too tightly, but to allow some flexion and movement. The crossbeam is then lifted in place at the top of the vertical beam. The left hand, the left foot is pressed backward against the right foot. And with both feet extended, toes down, a nail is driven to the arch of each, leaving the, knee, leaving the knees moderately flexed. The victim is now crucified as he slowly sags down with more weight on the nails and the wrists. Excruciating, fiery pain shoots along the fingers and up the arms to explode in the brain. The nails in the wrists are putting pressure on the median nerves. As Jesus pushes himself upward to avoid this stretching torment, he places his full weight on the nail through his feet. Again, there is searing agony of the nail tearing through the nerves between the metatarsal bones of the feet. At this point, another phenomenon occurs. As the arms fatigue, great waves of cramps sweep over I'm sorry. Great waves of cramps sweep over the muscles. I'm sorry it makes it harder. I'm knotting them in deep relentless throbbing pain. With these cramps comes the inability to push himself upward. 
Air can be drawn into the lungs but cannot be exhaled. Jesus fights to raise himself in order to get even one small breath. Finally, carbon dioxide builds up in the lungs and in the bloodstream, and the cramps partially subside. Spasmodically, he is able to push himself upward to exhale and to bring in the life-giving oxygen. Hours of this limitless pain, cycles of twisting, joint-rending cramps, intermittent partial asphyxiation, searing pain, as tissue is torn from his lacerated back as he moves up and down against the rough timber. Then another agony begins. A slow crushing pain begins in the chest as the pericardium slowly fills with serum and begins to compress the heart. It is now almost over. The loss of tissue fluids has reached a critical level and the compressed heart is struggling to pump heavy, thick, sluggish blood into the tissues. The tortured lungs are making a frantic effort to gasp in tiny gulps of air. The body of Jesus is now an extremis, and he can feel the chill of death creeping through his tissues, his mission of atonement completed. Finally, he can allow his body to die. The crowd never understands, and so they are easily moved to mocking Jesus Christ. And Jesus prays that this be held not against them. Those who crucified him, he prays for this not to be held against them. But this moment of human suffering is only one aspect of this moment because within the spiritual realm, All the errors, all my errors, all the flaws, all my flaws, all the transgressions, all my transgressions, all the mistakes, my mistakes, all the sins, my sins, they're all there and they're crushing him. And when he, there is scriptures that would almost lead us to believe that, that, that his heart is broken and we know the passage where they pierce his side and out of his side comes blood and water. So often we read that just like a prophetic a prophetic uh, reality. Oh, the scripture was fulfilled, but let me tell you, there's only one way. Blood and water come out from the piercing of the spear, and that is if you have a broken heart. And so sin has broken the heart of God. And I have able to stand in this pulpit on this stage and give you the gospel of Jesus Christ because he loved you that much. He loved us that much. I said he loved us that much. And he is committed to you. He's not just the God who forgives the sins of the sinner. He forgives our sins. It's not as though we're good and the person that's in the dregs of sin, oh, they're bad. No, we all need covering. Whether you've served God 25 or 30 years, we all need covering. There will be 
there will be, there will be a sacrifice in our lives. There will be, there'll be sacrifice in your life. There'll be sacrifice in my life. Nothing compares to what Jesus has done for us. And it is our honor in any way to bear a sacrifice for him. Whether that is the years of our life that we give, whether that is a cup of cold water given in Jesus' name, it is our honor. It is our honor to return to him the love that he has so generously shed abroad in our life. And so... And so I've known for over two years I would have to get to Calvary. And tonight we stand at Calvary. And it's here at the cross that we remind one another that if it were not for this moment, there would be no uh, resurrection. If it were not for this suffering, there would be no joy on the morrow. But because of his willingness to face this, all the joy becomes possible and, and the, 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 the miraculous ascension becomes possible and the outpouring of the Spirit on the day of Pentecost becomes possible. It all becomes possible. It all becomes possible because when he had to choose and answer this question, did he love us enough to fix the problem we had made? He answered the question, yes, I love them enough. I'm here to tell you today, God is really, really committed to you. I said, God is really, 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 really committed to you. It's not just a hobby. He's not up there in glory somewhere spinning out models of how the world should operate. He is really, 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 really committed to you. You say, I'm, I'm kind of a mess. Yep, yep, he already knew that. He knew that before. He is really committed to you. You say, I, I, I oftentimes feel like I've failed the same test over and over. Yeah, God knew that about you too. And he is really, really, really committed to you. Because the covering of Calvary doesn't just go back to the Old Testament. It reaches forward to us particularly. And we are today the inheritors of God's grace. Would you stand with me right now? Would you step out of the, the chair you're in? Would you come stand listening to First Church Charlotte. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to support our efforts, text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come worship with us.